0: i have to fight too hard and then that puts other things into perspective like race and you know skin color i'll say that those things don't exist but this is just my perspective of it that's the Absolutely. way i look at it and and the way i look at it geese tells me you know what this is just a challenge it's just a matter of time keep being dedicated keep being persistent keep being consistent and you will overcome it now some of those Challenges I have seen, let's say, for example, in terms of business, is the rules and regulations I did mention to you about, which can be better if we, if we decide to make change keep it, keep it, keep keeping personal interests aside and taking into consideration res- consideration what ordinary people in this country deserve. Welcome to show your
1: receipts, where we believe if you can see it, you can be it. Receipts are evidence or proof that something has occurred. Our guests are evidence that Black excellence is alive and well. They will be sharing their receipts on how they've been able to accomplish so much in their life. I'm your host, Tony Jackson. Let's get started. Welcome to Show Your Receipts, where we believe if you can see it, you can be it. Today we have an amazing guest. His name is Gabriel Genobot. He is running for Congress in the 4th District of Maryland in 2024. Uh, he immigrated to America from Cameroon over two decades ago, starting out washing dishes at a seafood restaurant and later became a database analyst and ended up working for local government as well as Fortune 500 company. In the meantime, he attended uh, CLS, opened a couple of small businesses and has published five books. And we have him here today. Uh, welcome, Gabriel. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank
0: you, Tony. I'm excited to be here.
1: Absolutely. And so let's jump right into it, Gabriel. Please share with me a little bit about what you got going on right now. Obviously, you're running for Congress. I know that you're also an entrepreneur or a small business owner. Tell us a little bit about, first of all, what sparked you to want to run for Congress.
0: Oh, it's I've had this spirit of giving back to the community for as, as for as young as I was like 10 and i did work in cameroon while i was there and even when i came here i bought certain things school supplies hospital supplies clothes and shoes and i took it back to cameroon where i came from because i, I know exactly how i left my home my classmates my neighbors and those in churches and the hospitals in which i was born hospital in which i was born in and you know coming to america life was a little bit better for me than it was back uh, in cameroon So I thought it's always a good thing. And my mom did teach me that, like always give back to the community when you not, you don't have to wait till you have too much. And so, you know, it's always been a thing for me to give back to the community and fight for those who are struggling to make life better for themselves because I've lived it myself. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. And we
1: definitely need more people like you to be represented as a country. And so that's exciting. But I definitely want to touch on a little bit of that more as we go on. I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience as an entrepreneur and the businesses that you've been involved in, what sparked you to become an entrepreneur, how you started, obstacles that you faced along the way.
0: Would you mind sharing with me a little bit of that, Gabe? Absolutely. It's actually a long story enough to be in a book, which I actually wrote. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, in my autobiography, From Mega Beginnings, The Power of Dedication, Persistence, and Consistency, and you can find this on Amazon, I detailed, you know, quite well what brought me into entrepreneurship. And it was some sort of a coincidence, and accident also, because I had a vehicle I bought and I wanted to do some modifications on it. And it took me to a garage and, you know, I went there the first day, two, three weeks down the road, the guy wanted to sell it. And I said, look, I, my background is IT. I don't, I can't, my brain is not wired to be a mechanic, but he talked me into buying this mechanic shop and I eventually took out a loan and put it down, which is, it wasn't really a small amount of money. And knowing that my background is not, you know, auto mechanic, it was one of the craziest things I did. And. In the next, so it, this happened on January 15th of 2008. I can't even forget the date, right? January 15th of 2008. I wrote this big check. I think it was more than $35,000. Gave it to him. And within the first six months, it was a complete nightmare. Like, what the heck did you just do? Mm. You are not a mechanic. You bought a mechanic shop. Your background is IT. You don't know how to fix cars. You don't even leave. You don't even stay in the garage. How the hell did you get into all of this, right? Long story short, I tried to sell this place for even $5, and nobody would buy it. Wow. Because January and March, it's very cold here in Maryland. Businesses are slow. People are waiting for taxes before they can spend money. And so I had to pay the guy who sold the, the garage to me was working for me to pay the rent, pay him. And other wow. businesses built. And it was a complete nightmare. I wanted to just get rid of it. But mm. you, I will get to tell you more of the story as we go down the road. But it was really a, a terrible experience. Up until June 28th of that same year, I decided to transform the tire, sh- the mechanic shop into a tire shop. Mm. Same store, that same garage, which could take me or sold vehicles into a tire shop. And that's how we went from the tire shop for a couple of years. And then we opened a second location based off of the proceeds of the first one. And down the road, the tire shop took a nose dive because everyone in the neighborhood had a tire shop. And so that proceeds went down. Mm. And then we decided to transform the tire shop into a ballroom where we do weddings and, and so on. Wow, that man, there's so
1: much there that you just laid out, Gab. So, first of all, the confidence. Let's talk about that. You your background is IT. Your background is not entrepreneur. You're a corporate guy, you're doing a thing, you got a great job. You decide to make the jump to entrepreneurship. What gave you that confidence to make that leap with the obstacles that you have that you were facing? You know, not knowing about cars, not knowing about uh, mechanics. How, how did you do? What, what gave you that belief for yourself?
0: You know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur from the get-go. I mean, I did, I was in corporate for so many years, but I've always wanted to be an independent person, have my own business and decide what hours I have to work and things like, which is, if you look at it, in anybody who owns a business, it's there's no such thing as just doing things the way you want. Yeah. But I've always wanted to be someone who, even though in corporate, just be able to make my own decisions and run my own show, run my own business and take care of the family. But then what made me to take that leap, despite the odds that was was against me was the fact that I sampled 10 people because it was a move that was, I wasn't hundred percent sure about. I sampled 10 people say, Hey, here's this garage. It costs this much money. The guy who's selling it to me wants to work for me. What do you think I should do? Nine out of 10 people tell me not to do it.
1: Mm.
0: Nine out of 10 say don't because your background is not auto mechanic. Mm. You don't work there. You work work 25 minutes away from that shop. There's never going to be a day that you're going to be able to replace a mechanic if they don't come to work. Mm -hmm. So don't do it. But I'm that one person who, unfortunately, when I make my mind to do something, but put my mind to it, I have to take it to the finish end. So the Mm -hmm. the next thing actually pushed me even more Mm -hmm. to take that giant step into opening that shop. And since then, it's one of the things that has always inspired me to do things that people don't want me to do. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how to deal. I don't know how to, deal with challenges that are not really challenging as such. If Mm. if nobody wants to do it. And as we go on the course of the interview, I will tell you more stories of more challenging stuff I've gotten into when it comes to entrepreneurship, which everybody has told me not to do, but it always turns out very good. And just, it just supports what the saying that says, it's nothing good. That comes easy. Mm.
1: Absolutely. And you also mentioned one thing that was very interesting when you talk, you're talking about uh, the first business started as a a mechanic shop. Then you changed it into a tire shop. Then you opened another tire shop and then you had to pivot again and change it into a, you know, a a ballroom and event planning space. What gave you the idea to continue to keep making these adjustments? And how did you come up with a ballroom event
0: space at the end? (laughs) So that's an interesting question. What? So what made me to pivot in these businesses is that as the saying goes, you can walk and chew down, right? I always like to multitask, mm. but at the same time, I watch the trend of what's happening. So mm. when I opened the tire shop, the very first one, I was probably the only, we were probably just two of us in the 20 mile radius on mm-hmm. Baltimore Avenue. Back in, mm-hmm. back in 2008, but mm-hmm. by 2012, I literally drove around and counted. There were 17 used tire stores. Wow. Wow. And one loan from Jessup to, to college park. There was 17. Gay, so saw you, what you were doing? They had to copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's just about time. You, your sales are going to go down because there's a lot of competition. It's used tires. It's not unique. It's everybody, everybody can do it. Right. So I'm thinking in my mind, what else could be that business that's not too many of them around? And almost immediately it came to my mind that there's not many ballrooms around. Like I literally scan around, there's not many ballrooms. And in this community, people always have events, left and right, up and down the chain. If it's not a baby shower, it's a wake. If it's not a wake, it's a graduation ceremony. If it's not a graduation ceremony, it's a birthday party. If it's not a birthday party, it's always something, like always Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when the sales went down, I said, rather than go looking for another 5,000 square foot space to set up a ballroom, how about I just convert this into a ballroom? Because I have two of those locations and I just leave one of them for a tire shop and the other one can be a a necessary ballroom. And so that's how I converted the first one into a ballroom. And then the second tire shop that we opened just a mile up the street, literally one mile up the street, uh, it was a 4,300 square foot space with uh, quite some space in the outdoors. So what I did was, in that little 4,300 square foot space, I opened up the computer classroom in the biggest space in the back. There was a tag and title service for the state of Maryland in one portion of it, there mm-hmm. was a notary service in that same building. And there was wow. a uniform franchise in that same building. And on Sundays, when I'm not teaching computers, there is a church in the <laughs> room where the clock computer- is <laughs> okay. So we maximized that 40 yeah. with square foot space to the, to the brim. And believe it wow. or not, it was it kept me going. And I was still working full-time with all this wow so to answer your question as to why did i pivot it was two things one i noticed the trend and the sales as to how much business was doing and perfectly looked for a time to switch that way i don't spend too much time in the business that's not doing so well and so that's number one and number two i just like to try different things it's the united states of america where you could try what you want, right? You think about something, you try it. If it doesn't work, you move to the other thing. I mean, when I was in Cameroon, I tried different things, but here it's completely different. And so take advantage of the fact that you are one of the most powerful countries in the world and do the things that you couldn't do when you were in in the other country. Let's touch on that, Gabe. So you
1: mentioned the whole idea of taking advantage of opportunities here in the U.S. Talk to me about what, I guess if we have somebody who's watching this and they are aspiring to be an entrepreneur and maybe they've lost the American dream, they've lost the belief. Ironically enough, it seems like that belief burns brighter in um, people who immigrate from other countries. But talk to me, what advice would you have for someone who is here in the U.S. who may not have the belief in themselves that they can go start their own business, may not have the belief that opportunities are still unlimited, what advice or what thoughts would you have for
0: somebody like that? I would tell them because maybe for me, it's a little bit different because I can look at two things. One, Cameroon, and I look at here. But let's assume that, you know, that this person who's watching and listening to us right now doesn't know the other side of the story, which is Cameroon or or any, or has never been to a third world country or in a position where there are not that many resources or opportunities to start a business. What I would say is that if you were in the United States of America, you cannot afford to give up on your dreams. Mm. I actually wrote a book about, and the title of this book is in, it's on Amazon, is how to turn small resources into big dreams. Mm. Because there's this idea or there's this notion, and it's so conventional that you wanna wait and raise hundreds of thousands of dollars before you start to run a business. And in some cases, you might need to do that, but I always liken running a business or starting a business to a newborn baby. When you married or have a kid, as young as Dale, you don't think about how this kid is going to eat five, 10 years from today. You just Mm -hmm. take it one step at a time and that there's never going to be a day you're going to let this kid die of hunger. That's how you look at, that's how I look at the business. If you think of an idea, add it. Fortunately, you are in this country where you can think about a business and start it Without paying a bribe or without being concerned that someone's gonna knock you down or burn it down for whatever reason, you—we in this country that we, we have a lot of safety measures in place, a lot of opportunities. So, what I would tell you is, if you think about opening a small business, I, I don't care what it is. And I, I started off. I told you the story of how I started off. In fact, I started picking. I wanted to start a business about picking up bottles and selling them for five cents each bottle Mm. and even putting it together and opening up a much bigger business. So the point I'm trying to make is if you are here and you're thinking about starting something, start it. Don't wait. Don't. If 10 people were to tell you no, guess what? You're the one who has to begin it, not anybody else. Because you know yourself better than anybody else, right? One of the chapters in one of the books I wrote is follow your instincts is one of the most things that most human beings possess but they don't know how to use it is follow your instincts whatever your instinct tells you you go for it and so listening to this don't be discouraged if you have something in mind start it don't think about how is he going to grow just think about it as a little baby you just had <laughs> that baby has to grow that baby yeah. has to eat that baby is yeah. going to fall sick and they're going to take him to the hospital and you cannot watch this kid be homeless or hungry or go without clothes. Just look at it that way. Man, that is amazing. Gabe, I would
1: love to link, put a link in the in the description of your book so people can click on and they can have the link to your Amazon book. So you, you, you mentioned like three or four of them already. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> I, of the whole intro, we forgot to put published author and, and really give you kudos for that. So that's amazing the books that you've written, I know you talked about uh, actually starting other businesses. So after you did the uh, the mechanic business that turned into the tire shop, that turned into the event space planning, are there any other businesses that you'd like to share in any life lessons that uh, we could
0: pull out of your experience building those businesses? Absolutely. There's a ton of it, which again, I wrote another book (laughs) explaining how I feel about entrepreneurship and what could be done to encourage many more people to jump into entrepreneurship, because there's a lot of people who want to own their own, start and own their own small business. And one of the things I know in most jurisdictions, in most counties or cities or municipalities, they can loosen up the rules and regulations they have about starting a small business as still maintain the code, building codes or inspections or regulations that they, they have in place. But right now, it's so rigid and so difficult that once you explain to someone what process it takes for you to have a legitimate ballroom with all the licensing and permits, it just for for someone who is not really strong or determined or really serious about starting a business, they're not going to start it in the the first place because it's literally like going through the hour of a needle to get an established ballroom, which is legit. And on the, on the other hand, which I, I say this, which is kind of funny, but it's much easier for you to get a gun permit than for you to mm-hmm. get a license and liquor. And wow. the, if when I win the Congress, I want to make sure that these things, it should be the other way around, right? Make it easy for someone to open up a small business, be, or be a little bit more relaxed while keeping into consideration public safety and safety of individuals or groups of people in an assembly room, Make it easy for anybody who wants to start up a business and make it more difficult to buy a gun because literally you take in three months, you could obtain three different guns if you like, but to obtain a permit for a liquor license will take you a minimum for a year. When I'm talking about minimum of a year, cause I have one, it took me 13 months to get one. Shouldn't be that long, but the complications surrounding it makes it extremely difficult and. Discouraging for anyone who, much less some, someone who was born here, much less someone who came from Cameroon with a hundred dollars on him and struggling to integrate in a community that's 12,000 miles away from their home. And I know a lot of people who are here today who want to start a business. And I've encouraged a lot of people to start many more ballrooms because I know they're not enough. I give them the blueprint, but reading through it, it's a complicated. Yeah. So those experiences is, is I, I literally wrote them in, in the book titled Be Your Last Line of Defense and Your Naysayer's Greatest Surprise. Because when people tell you that you can't do these things because of these strict and rigid rules and regulations, you can say, you know what? No, I am not going to listen to that. I will go through it. And I've been through it several times with the county, fought a little couple of fights with them and pushed through mm-hmm. it and opened those businesses. But I think that it could be better than what it is right now Make it easy for them to open up this small business because people like to open and run small businesses, which actually is the backbone of what keeps this country going. That's right. Yeah, you mentioned your run for
1: Congress, and obviously, you have a very strong entrepreneurial background. And in my personal opinion, even more significant, you have a small business background, so it's very relatable to the average everyday person. What do you feel like is the importance and the impact of small business ownership in a community, in a society, in a country? Uh, why is it beneficial to have more small business owners, and how how does that
0: help uh, our communities? It's something that, uh, in the course of me campaigning and talking to people, one of the things I decided to do amongst visiting schools and uh, fire fire stations and police districts is the fact that. More than, I say this because I've been to a lot of small business owners, small businesses in and around the district. I'm talking about tons of them. And statistically, if you were to pull out all the small businesses on one street in District 4, I'm just going to use District 4, right? Mm -hmm. It literally could cripple the district. Wow. Literally. Yes. Because look at all the liquor stores, right? the small business owned. Mm. Look at all the, some of the groceries, little groceries, mop up grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Look at the food stores. Look at, there's just too many small businesses run, you know, in and around the district that if you were to pull out and say, oh, you know what, no more small businesses. Let me, let's make it very difficult for small businesses to open. You literally cripple the entire district. Mm. The flip side of it is, look around and tell me which Fortune 500 companies are opening in a small district like District 4, besides the federal government. And if you also look at on the employment side, I, for one, I have employed several people as a small business owner. Right now, I do have employees from janitors to security guards to DJs to people who make food, prepare food, and so on. In fact, I have a story to tell of a guy. He was basically homeless with a six-year-old and his wife. They went door-to-door knocking on small businesses, looking for something to do. And being a person of color, stressed out and looking really tired, nobody's willing to entertain those kinds of of people looking for a job sometimes. And much less, they're not going to go knock on a Fortune 500 door to look for a job. They're going to run to a small business. Fortunately, they came to my small business and I started him off by just letting him pick up trash outside and mop the floor and anything else that showed up that he could do. And from that point, he was able to feed his kid, he was able to afford to buy food and some medication when the kid was not well. Now, if you look across the district, there's so many people having the same experience as this young fellow. Mm-hmm. Think about if I wasn't existing as a small business and many other small businesses that are auto shops, mechanic shops, furniture stores, and things like that, the employment situation in the district, in the state, or even in the country would not look very good. I hear them read the statistics all the time of labor, employment went up this quarter by a couple of millions. A good majority of those employment is done by small business owners, and it's very Significant because the more people get employed, the less they're on the streets, the less crime we have, and so on. The less police officers we have outside, the less complaints we have, the less nine hundred one calls we have. So, mm-hmm. more businesses play a significant role in in the economy of not just the district or the state, but the entire country. Which is one of, if you look on about priorities on the things I'm rooting for and fighting for when I get in the office, is increased entrepreneurship because I know precisely what importance it has, not just to me as a person and my family, but to the neighborhood, to the economy in terms of taxes, to in, t- in terms of creating employment and jobs and, and so on. So it's about time government really do more than it's doing right now. I actually suggest that they should put all the money we use to fight wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and all those places, just give it to the small business owners and Let's start from let's talk from home, building our own economy through the small business owners.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And then you mentioned we've been talking about entrepreneurship.
1: I want to start to touch on and, and discuss education here for a second. Obviously, it seems as though education was the springboard to be able to launch you into entrepreneurship. I know we kind of brushed past it a little bit. But the fact that you were able to write a $35,000 check and that you were able to get lending, that's an a credit to the great career that you had. And that career in IT, I'm assuming, has a foundation in education in school. And so talk to me about your educational journey, both in Cameroon and in the U.S., and how that prepped you and got you into the IT field.
0: Education in Cameroon was really tough, very tough, because my parents didn't have a chance to go to even see the followers of a second grade. None of them, wow. they, they, they were not lucky. They could barely write anything. But what came out of that was they sacrificed everything to make sure that we have some kind of education. I remember in Cameroon, I'd missed the first year of college because of a hundred bucks. There was no hundred bucks wow. to pay for my tuition. I'm talking about the whole year tuition was a hundred dollars wow. in Cameroon money, but I couldn't make it that first year. And the second year, I almost didn't make it until that was, that sold the only chainsaw we had at home. To be able to pay my tuition buy some of my school supplies beds and then i went to college so going to college with <laughs> by selling a chainsaw life is not gonna be that easy for the next four years and mm, literally right. it was really tough throughout the four years in school there was no cell. there were no cell phones at the time there were times when i got so sick got admitted in, into a neighboring hospital and my parents did not know at all. There was no way to find out because they were hundreds of kilometers away. There was no way to find out. If I were to send him a letter, handwritten letter, it was going to take a month, maybe get home. Wow. I had time to find out that he was sick. Maybe he was dead. I don't know. But throughout college, I tried my best to make sure that I graduated from college. There was a Christmas holiday I remember so well. I wasn't even able to go home. I stayed home mm. on the holiday, the Christmas holiday. And just continued school until I graduated with a second upper class degree and when I graduated with a second upper class degree in educational administration I couldn't go to I couldn't go any further so I decided to buy clothes and sell it on the streets of the university I graduated from mm. I sold clothes and so many other things um and we used to walk for seven miles each way to school on one foot wow and wow. and I had no shoes in some cases my mom used to make fun of me that the reason why my legs, has, I have a size 14 is because I didn't wear shoes for a very long time. Wow. And so my feet just kept growing and growing. Um, but despite all of that, it was not, it was typical because a lot of my friends in the neighborhood were experiencing the same things because of the way the Cameroon is set up or was set up at least at the time. And, but when I did graduate from college, I was interested in learning more about computing. And so server learning, I self-taught myself computer, computers. At that time it was WordPerfect and Lotus Notes for anybody who did computers in the nineties, WordPerfect and Lotus and DBS4. DBS is the current version of Oracle and SQL Server. It was database four at the time, DBS4. And mm-hmm. so, fortunately for me with a couple of lucky breaks, I was able to come to this country and I pursued, I just kept going with, with taking computer classes after working in that seafood restaurant for a couple, like a year and a half and saving some money and taking computer classes. And then from then on, I took a lot more computer classes. I'll tell you one funny story about computer classes. So when I was learning Oracle eight at the time in 1990, 99, 99, 2000 books, a million used to sell the book, the Oracle books for 80 bucks. And they had a 30-day return policy. And I was so broke. I read this book, a thousand plus pages in 29 days. And I mm. took it back and they gave me back the money, which I used to survive for a couple more days. This is really hard. But I had to do that in order to keep going. But I say this because you asked about the importance of education. It is the things I experienced in Cameroon and studies and, and the classes I took here that I was able to have a job in the IT industry and work for Fortune 500 companies, this PG County, Prince George's County government, Baltimore city government, and eventually went to law school. Yeah. Wow. Man, I have to
1: go back and recap some of the things you just said. So basically you started off in Cameroon, not having enough money to go to college, go to university. Your dad sold a chainsaw. To get you started, you you go through school, graduate. Not a lot of opportunities. You begin to sell clothes on the at school campus. Eventually, come to the U.S. I remember you said with just a hundred dollars in your pocket.
0: With a hundred dollars, fourteen hours, so eighteen hours of flying time, and I was tired. I got to Chicago, and. The flight to connecting to Ohio, where I was going to supposedly go to school, was canceled. I should have stayed at the airport uh, and not spend the hundred dollars I had. And not knowing how the country works, with the shock, the busy airport, I decided to spend that money in a hotel, which I did not even sleep all night. And uh, I spent eighty-five dollars to rent the room. The following morning, I got. I came to the airport to connect to the school I was going to we just $14 and change. Wow. So, and some guy sitting next to me, his name was Mr. David Nelson. I, And he lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. Sitting by me, you could see that I was visibly exhausted. He he asked where I was from. I told you I'm from Cameroon, West Africa. I'm going to Akron, Ohio. He asked if somebody was picking me up. And I said, no. He said, well, I can give you a ride. Okay. He gave me a ride, a 45 minutes ride from Akron, a local airport to the school. I was going to Akron University and it was closed. There was nobody to receive. me, So he said, well, do you know anybody in the country? I said, I have relatives in DC, but they don't know I'm here. (laughs) And he said, well, I can't take you to my house. You're going to have to go there. And I said, I have only $14 on me. So he, he actually left, left the right, left me right there on the corner of the road, but came back and said, well, you mm-hmm. need to go to D.C. because I can't leave you on the corner of the street. And I can't take you to my house either. So he gave me $60 and took me to Greyhound and gave me an additional 20 bucks to eat, you know, just in case I get hungry
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so I can eat. And he's this very gracious guy who didn't know who I was, but just... I think he, I thought, I think he could see in me I was visibly exhausted. I have no help, and he decided to help me. And I was, I'm still grateful for that. I tried to reach out to him several times, but he forgot who I was. They had Mm. this this phone system where when you call, you have to announce yourself before they can let you in. So I tried Mm. a couple times, and he didn't answer. And one day he did answer, Mm. but then that was the last time I spoke to him. Wow. Wow, that's
1: an incredible story, and and it just kind of makes you think about the power of acting on faith. Because you were coming here with a hundred dollars and faith that you were going to be able to figure it out, and 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 God, things came together. God put things together for you. That, that's an amazing
0: story. Yeah, no, knowing what I know today, <laughs> I would not send somebody to the United States of America with a hundred bucks. I would, yeah, but there we are. So so now you're in the U.S., you're in D.C. now.
1: Yes. What's D.C. like? Because, you know, I I haven't had a lot of experience in D.C. I did go to my Purdue Global graduation, was in D.C. It was my first time there Mm in 2022. D.C. is known as Chocolate City in the Black community. You know, people talk about how empowered Black people are in D.C. and and business Mm -hmm. and government. What was it like coming from Cameroon? to the, the DMV area. What was that like for you?
0: It was, so first of all, I came in the summertime in June and why is this, why is there sunlight at 9 p.m. in the afternoon and then night, you know, 9 p.m. To me, 9 p.m. is probably 3 a.m. in Cameroon. So I'm in, I'm 3 a.m. here at 9 p.m. here, but why mm-hmm. is there sunlight? So that was the first shocking thing to me because we don't have that. We don't see the sun at 9 p.m. That was mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. two. The time difference just really threw me off for several weeks. And I, and the shock that I'm, you know, my family's not here, but I got some kind of consolation because there were, there's a lot of Africans and a lot of people from Cameroon here, some people I know. So Mm -hmm. I took solace of the fact that I knew them, they were here, it was a little comforting. And as time went on, I kind of blend myself into the community or into the society and was able to integrate into work, school, and a few other places. But the other thing was I could not fully or correct correctly understand when people spoke, when they said something to me, I couldn't really understand. They couldn't understand what I said, you know, whenever, whenever I said something to them, so that whole thing went on for a couple of months and it was not very easy, but fortunately I was able to, to get used to this, to the community and just kicked off from there
1: now how old were you when you first got to the US i was 26 26 years old so I basically 26. you starting over in a new country you basically starting from scratch at 26 not knowing anybody you're in the US and you got to figure this thing out
0: yes i i started from scratch like from scratch because so when i came in there i had to take computer classes i took so At the time, Microsoft launched a couple of certifications for you to become a systems engineer. It was A+, Networking Essentials, TCPIP Enterprise, Network Enterprise Plus Internet, and a whole bunch of Microsoft applications that you need to learn to become a Microsoft-certified systems engineer. So I had always made up my mind that once I'm in the United States of America, I have to make it work. Mm -hmm. So I launched this program and, For three months, that's all I did. And I was able to take the certificate. I was able to take six certifications in 28 days, something I was never done before. Wow. So I became a Microsoft certified systems engineer in a very short period of time. And then I also took Microsoft certified database administrator with SQL server. And I also took Oracle database administration classes. And that's how I started working for Booz Allen and Hamilton in McLean, Virginia for a couple of months. I worked for Prince George's County government right there, Alago. And then I worked for Baltimore City Housing. And then I worked for Mayo's Office of Information Technology in Baltimore City for 20 years, I think. And while there, I was responsible for running the database for all city services, all support applications from police, housing, general services, DPW, liquor board, all city services you can think of in Baltimore city. We, we were in charge of it. Wow. So
1: yeah. l- let me back up here. So wait a minute. So you come to this country because it's a lot of people who are maybe in their twenties, they're thinking I'm too old to go back to school or I don't have time to, you know start a new career or there are a lot of people who come from other countries and they come here and they're thinking, oh, I just want to make some money and get a job. And they're thinking that simple jobs and you're going straight for what a lot of people would consider to be one of the best jobs in the U.S. to be a computer IT software guy. So what are your thoughts on that as far as, you know, what, what gave you that spark to say, I'm not just going to the U.S. to feed myself. I'm not just going to get a job or just kind of make ends meet, me, but I'm going there to uh, to strive for excellence. What, what, what gave you that belief in yourself and also to feel like you weren't too old to continue your education?
0: I, I'd always had a very strong, dogged belief in what's possible about America. Even when I was 12 years of age, I, I remember I used to listen to Voice of America when I was 12. With a small band A-band radio that was hooked up to my bed, my little dinky four by four bedroom in Cameroon. So I I'd always had this this belief that this country is a country of possibilities. Like once you're here, and I used to hear also that there was a lot of money here, which wasn't the case on the streets, but then the opportunities here were not something you could just watch and let it no go by. Mind the same opportunities that I couldn't get in Cameroon, now I have it right in front of me. I'm literally living in it. Mm. So I mind, I'm thinking, there's just no way I would sit and watch these things go by. Even at this age today, I still think that we wallow in opportunities that don't exist in more than half of the world in other places. Mm. And it just makes sense that if you find yourself... In a place where you haven't been, where you spend twenty six of your years not being in, and all of a sudden you find yourself in at the prime of your life, it mm-hmm. just makes sense for you to say, you know what, I have to catch up on this, and not say age or I'm old, or I'm exhausted, or oh, complain or blame someone else for what you did or didn't do. It's just like, yo, it's this is the time and this is your time. You you can see, you can talk, you can walk, you can drive on roads that you didn't even construct the vehicle. You didn't build a vehicle. You're flying in planes that you never Mm -hmm. built. You're enjoying freedom you never fought for. All those types of things, Just give you reason to wake up in the morning and say, let's go. And not just let's go, tag along people who are able and willing to go with you. Come on, let's go. And so we could build, make changes together. Let's grow together because that's what makes the world a better place. That's my opinion. Gabe,
1: if I could vote for you, I would. But you are very inspirational, and your story is, man, it is incredible. You've touched on so many things. Let me ask you this question. As you had this dogged belief in the opportunity in America, and obviously the dogged belief in yourself, during that journey, tell me about obstacles or challenges that you may have faced because of your skin color, because of where you're from. And how did you overcome
0: those situations when they presented themselves? You know, that's funny, that's very interesting because I've always been somebody who don't believe in obstacles. Mm. And so I call those obstacles challenges Mm. instead of obstacles. Because in my mind, especially in this country, there is no obstacle I cannot overcome. Mm. It might be a challenging for today or for two days or for a week or for five or six months or even for five years. But if you look at the title of my book, The Power of Dedication, Persistence, and Consistency, whatever it is that you're calling a challenge and be overcome, and at that point, it's no longer an obstacle. But once you call it an obstacle, you're telling your mind, now I have mm. too much work to do. Absolutely. I have to fight too hard. And then that puts other things into perspective like race and, you know, skin color. I'll say that those things don't exist, but this is just my perspective of it. That's the Absolutely. way I look at it. And and the way I look at it, geese tells me, you know what? This is just a challenge. It's just a matter of time. Keep being dedicated. Keep being persistent. Keep being consistent, and you will overcome it. Now, some of those challenges I have seen, let's say, for example, in terms of business, is the rules and regulations I did mention to you about, which can be better if we, if we decided to make change it, keep it, keep keeping personal interests aside and taking into consideration consideration what ordinary people in this country deserve we can make that happen now when it comes to other types of challenges if if we could make it also easier for people to people who are willing who come to the country as immigrants and able and willing to work don't get them to sit on the bench for 5 10 years because of waiting for work permit When we know fully well that these people come into this country for one and only one reason, work, pay their tax, make life better for themselves, their own children and their own families, Mm -hmm. I don't want to wait. I shouldn't have to wait 10 years to get to become a citizen of this country, Mm -hmm. especially with no criminal background and things like that. Those are some Mm -hmm. of the challenges that slow people down, slow me down in some cases. And then when you look at Personally, when I look at obstacles, it's usually not just for me as an individual. But when I look at children in our school system, in our educational system, struggling with an 8% in math performance, proficiency in math, a 24% proficiency in reading, and a 76% proficiency or graduation rate, that's an obstacle to me. Because if I consider myself someone who wants to rise with other people, the fact that somebody else's kid cannot perform at a 100% proficiency in math or reading, or when they graduate, they can actually go to college, to me, it's a challenge. Because now you look at it like, what society are we building for our own kids? Because I have kids in that public school and the kids of my neighbors or my constituents and everybody else in the country. Now that becomes a challenge depending on how you're looking at it. But the way I look at it is from my own perspective as an individual, a community, a constituent, as a country, as a whole. So I know we can fix this. We're the United States of America. We have the resources. We have the means. We just need to set the priorities straight, put the right people in office and we can get all the challenges overcome.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You touched on education, I want to get your thoughts on the value of college. There's a lot of conversations going on right now. Some people are saying, oh, college is no longer. It's not that big of a deal. You don't need to go. There's a lot of people also saying that, you know, hey, you look at some of the wealthiest people in the world, they typically send all of their kids to college. And so what are your thoughts on college, the value of a college education and the necessity of it to be able to be
0: upwardly mobile in this day and age? It's very valuable. And one thing I would say is the moment you see someone saying, you know, it's not valuable, part of it is because it's become so expensive Mm -hmm. for people to afford to go to school Mm -hmm. or send their kids to school, right? Mm -hmm. At that point, you start thinking about options. Like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Just drop out or go to YouTube and make some videos. Hopefully I can make some money. But I really, I do think that education, speaking for one, my children and my friends and families, education is very valuable. Even if you're not gonna use it, if you went to computer science in school and you don't use it you know, to get a job in computer science, you're not aware of the fact that the school you went through is actually helping you to do a lot of stuff, not making some mistakes, which some people who didn't go to school make, but it's very valuable because it guides you, it grounds you with certain things. And knowing, that knowing our society nowadays, which I don't think is also the proper way to do things, they will look at your school credentials before they offer you a job, you know? So I think it's very valuable for people to go to school and the government should also make it easy for people who are willing and able and who wants to go to school to be able to go to school. Because at some point in your life, you're going to need it. You will definitely Absolutely. need it. Because there's people who have been left behind because of the fact that they don't have a certain level of education as by some fortune Power companies. And what can you do about that? hmm Absolutely. And so another question I have
1: for you is what advice, what advice would you give your younger self? If you could talk to young Gabriel, either, you know, young Gabriel back in Cameroon or young Gabriel recently immigrated to the U.S knowing which now all the lessons that you went through the struggles that you experienced the challenges that you've been able to overcome the success that you've had what advice would you give
0: uh, to your younger self so i would say i should have started early in in entrepreneurship i should have started as early and as soon as possible and because I realized that what I was able to achieve when I started being in that entrepreneurship, if I had started earlier, maybe 10 years before, prior, if I had a chance to, it would have made a lot of difference in everything else. It would have. The second thing I would have told myself is, is as an entrepreneur, there's sometimes you do make mistakes and you only learn through some of those mistakes. So those mistakes I made was, that he, remember I did tell you, I opened up a second tire shop. Mm-hmm. So the mistake I made was whatever proceeds I made, I reinvested in the same line of business, right? Mm-hmm. And when the business took a nosedive, I had nothing left behind. Mm-hmm. So the moral of the story is If you're running a clothing business and you make proceeds off of the clothing business, put it in real estate Mm. put it in something else. So if a hundred people start doing the same line of business that you are in, you wouldn't have to auction all your clothes for a dollar each. That's the same thing that happened with tire business. When so many people opened up the business, I had three trailers of tires, load three trailer loads of tires. I had to auction it for two dollars. Nobody was even willing to buy it. Wow. So all the reinvestments that I was trying to recycle with the help of making more money, I wish I tell young Gabriel, you should have done it the other way around. <laughs> mm. Put it in something else. Absolutely.
1: Wow. That's yeah. man, that's a huge nugget right there. Yeah. So yeah. next next question I have for you is. Gabriel, one of my, and we're almost wrapping up here. One of my favorite quotes is by Sir Isaac Newton. He says, If I've seen further, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. I recognize that as I'm talking to people who have these success stories, there's always people throughout their journey, whether it be parents or teachers or mentors or co- coaches, there's always somebody who they can kind of point to and say, I probably wouldn't be here if this person didn't do this thing or say this thing or encourage me in this way. Who are some of those people who who were some of those giants for you along your journey that helped you become the man that you are today?
0: So I I actually mentioned this in my book, the first book. It was more of a relay for me to the point where I got handed over like a baton from one one point where I was almost not going to make it and then somebody else picks it up from there, like a baton and a relay, and I'll get to a certain point. So there's a lot of people along this journey, starting from my parents, who, like I told you, didn't get a chance to go to to elementary school at all. They tried their best up to the point where it was time for me to go to high school and they couldn't make it. They couldn't afford it. And then my uncle took me over. Took me through high school, And when it was time to go to college, she was like, look, I can't, there's nothing for me to do. I cannot afford no more. And then my parents took me back and sold that chainsaw. And then I went to university. Mm. After the university, it was back to roaming the streets, selling clothes and nothing else to be done. And then someone else who's of late today saw the goodness in me, saw the fact that I could be better if I could travel. And then sent me to the United States of America. Wow. And then for a point, I took it upon myself. But while I'm here, I have been so grateful when I told you the story of Mr. David Nelson, who, who if not of him, I would have known <laughs> how to get to DC. When he gave me $60, I bought my, my, my bus, paid my bus fare. And while here in DC, I have some family members who have helped me in several ways, friends and colleagues who've, pushed me in several ways vendors contractors it the list could go on and on my family my mm-hmm. children my wife but overall in a nutshell all over you know all across the time i have existed there's one set of people whom as newton said i consider giants to me They are senior citizens. I I forgot exactly Mm -hmm. who said this. That what these senior citizens will see sitting down, young folks like us will never see it on the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. I always and have always learned so much from senior citizens. Because they know a lot. They've seen Mm -hmm. it. They've lived it. They know when you're going wrong. They've seen the time change. And so, I always find time every once in a while, go to a senior citizen somewhere and talk to them. You're going to get something out of it. And that's why on my campaign literature, one of the things that's on there, take care of our senior citizens. Absolutely. Take care of them. Take care of them. Absolutely. Even when they, even on their last days, take good care of them. Absolutely. Wow. Matt,
1: Gabriel, I bet we're coming to the end of our time. I just want to thank you for taking time to share today. I'm so inspired. (laughs) This is, you know, I I was sharing with my producer that like I'm ready to like go out here and do something after talking to you. Gabriel, could you tell people where they can find you, your social medias? Maybe before we wrap up,
0: you want to talk about the campaign, when the election is. Share some of that for us, please. Absolutely. So Gabriel for Congress is the website and there you can find a donate link. All we need is $5, 10 And as you know, congressional races are very expensive. And as a long shot candidate, someone who depends solely on grassroots contributions and not taking any money from special interest groups or lobbies or banks or corporations, my campaign is running strictly from or powered by the people. So Gabriel for Congress.com is a name. You can search me also on Facebook by just looking uh, Gabriel for Congress, or just clicking on the Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube links on the webpage and support our campaign in some way, because this whole thing is not about me. It's all about the ordinary working class Americans. People who look like us and think like us and people who who've moved to this country with one big dream to work, make life better for themselves. Braving the jungles and the high seas to come here because of that mosaic that's America. I want to be the voice of those kind of people and there are many more there's a lot of them on the streets of this country in the nursing profession, in the healthcare profession, in it profession in, in all the professions in in the works of life I want to be that voice someone who looks out for them because that's how I grew up it's the community I grew up in that's the way I grew up in. And so I cannot be that type of, of, of representative who doesn't care about his own people. And so while we go knocking on doors, that's a message I carry with me. And if you see my truck somewhere, big sign Gabriel for Congress on it, you know, take a picture of it, tag me with it, donate $5, $10 because that's what we need to keep the campaign going. And for my books, you could get them on Amazon. Just look me up, Gabriel. And Jenny bought my last name. All the five books will pop up. Yep. And,
1: perfect. Just... and, and we're going to, we're going to link. Yeah. I would say we're going to link those books. So anybody who's watching this video can tap into those books. Gabriel, thank you so much. You truly have an American dream story, a Rex, the richest story. And I really believe that you will be an excellent representative uh, for the people in your district. And so uh, thank you for taking thank the time so to talk to us today. Thank you. Too.